Thank you, Bart. Um, those are excessively kind words, but we'll just go with that. <laughs> uh, you'll be happy to know, that those of you who heard me preach before, I, I don't always remember my glasses, so I've, I've got them with me this time. We're going we're gonna to do better. I, uh, uh, when you get to be Bart and my age, you, your memory sometimes, it's not what it could be, but actually mine has continued to improve over the years. I, I can remember things now that, that never even happened. <laughs> so this is part two of a, of a series I'm preaching here. If you'll take out your notes from two years ago, <laughs> we'll get started. Let me pray for uh, us. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you that you're willing to be with us in our daily lives and that you want to take us uh, under your wing by your spirit and teach us the good life. Father, I thank you that, that, uh, that salvation didn't end when you brought us uh, out of our sin and out of our guilt, but that your salvation will continue forever in our lives. And Lord, we don't want to leave any of that salvation on the table. We want to embrace every bit that you have for us. So I, I ask that you... Uh, you make that clear, strengthen me to speak, strengthen us all to hear, and we'll just give you the praise for that. Amen. So, um, as I talk to people, and if you're my friend or in a small group with me or get with me on any regular basis, you know that I've been wearing those people out for about five or ten years on this stuff. And so, I just really care about it. I stumbled across a guy uh, named Dallas Willard a few years back and pretty much read everything he's ever written and listened about every lecture he ever had available, and and his theme is discipleship, the with God life. And uh, it's not uncommon to hear people talk about the Christian life, especially in evangelical circles, as if it's just the just God life. No, it's just God. Well, actually, it's not the just God life. It's the with God life. That was the blessing of Abraham, that God said, I will be with you. And that was what what he was supposed to take to the whole world. Jesus talked about God being with him when he was on earth. Of course, he was God, but when he operated as a human, he was operating with God. And so let me encourage you to not settle for anything less than the with God life. Uh, Like Bart said, we're going to start a a stronger focus this fall on disciple making. And this morning, I want to talk to you about what's necessary for that or what comes first. And so uh, you notice there's no PowerPoint. There's no real notes there. there. I just I gave up on that. Uh, it's a skill that you have to master to do the PowerPoint and the talking and everything all at once, and Bart's excellent at it, and I stink, and so I'm just going to have notes. I'll have some points. Those of you who take notes, I'll try to let you know when those are coming up. Um, Where do we start? All right, this this may seem really, really simple and basic, and you may say, oh, Mark, why, why are you? Let's get to the good stuff. To make disciples of Jesus first You must be a disciple of Jesus. And uh, I don't stand in front of you today as an expert or one who's arrived in that. As a matter of fact, that may have hindered our discipleship more than anything else, is that we feel like if I'm not really there yet, how am I going to help you? Or if if I'm not really there yet. But notice, um, Jesus didn't want us to make disciples to us. He wanted to make them to who? To him. It's okay if you talk talk back. That's okay. Okay. so we're disciples of Jesus, and uh, there's a, a passage uh, that we refer to as the Great Commission, and I just want to read that to you and pull some things out of it. 
Now, this is at the end of Jesus' ministry. He's already been crucified, raised from the dead, and he's about to ascend back to the Father, and uh, he gives them some last instructions. And this is what he said. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, uh, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, I'm sorry, if you want to follow along, this is Matthew 28, 16 through 20. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, Now this is the basis, this is the basis for our discipleship right here. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So I want to look back at this. Like I said, it's Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And uh, the, the ones that Jesus took with him for this parting meeting were referred to as disciples. The word disciple appears over 200 times in the New Testament. The word Christian only appears three times. And uh, they, they only were called Christians because uh, when, they're, when the ones who were being brought into the church were not Jews, they, they couldn't think of what to call them, and so they just started calling them Christians. But it was, it was the disciples that were called Christians. And so this book, this Bible, is, this New Testament is a book about disciples, it's a book for disciples. It's even a book by disciples. The ones that God moved on to write this were all disciples. It describes the life of a disciple. And um, if you're not a disciple, then you're going to have a hard time figuring out how these words work in your life. It's going to be really tough because you'll see things in there that are just not real. So what do we do then? We make a song about it or you know, talk about how pretty it is and the the literature is just amazing. Well, actually, this is a letter to us about our life. And so I want to pull a few things out. One is that it was, was disciples that Jesus gave this charge to. Um, then Jesus says, all authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. Now, I want to tread real lightly here. And if I'm wrong, you can get with me later and straighten me out. And I'll certainly receive correction. But there is a... a there is a sense that I, I get from some people right now in the church that, especially in charismatic circles or spirit-filled circles, that they can't make any moves during their day or decisions or, or, or uh, choices unless they get a word from God. And uh, I'm, I'm all for a word from God. And I, I have heard God on occasion. Uh, that at least I, I took it to be God. And, and you want to be careful when you say God told me because uh, you don't want to put that on somebody. But the point is, is that um, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, therefore go. You can be sure if you go, you're obeying God. As you go and you're making disciples, you can be sure you're obeying God. You know, Jesus said when he was walking uh, in his earthly ministry, he said, I only do what I see the Father doing, and I only say what I hear the Father saying, and uh and, and that was, that's how he walked. And the Father was giving him instructions. And, uh, but now the authority has been given to Jesus to lead his church and to disciple his disciples. And he's telling them, this is what I want you to do. I want you, as you go, I want you to make disciples and teach them. Um, I want to do three things. Make disciples, 
baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I hope you know that means more than get them wet while you say in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinitarian presence that is in the church is a community experience. And when we, when we make disciples, we bring people into that community and they become immersed in, in this life. Of course, baptism is a symbol of that and a symbol of newness of life. And then it says, teach them to observe all that I commanded you. Teach them to do the things I said. Now, we're real good at telling people that they should do the things that Jesus said. But he's saying, teach them to do it. See, there's a difference. I can tell you you ought to do something, and that may not help you at all, except make you feel guilty. But if I teach you how to do something, that's making a disciple. Okay? And so Jesus went around teaching his disciples how to do what he did, which was live in the kingdom of God. And in case you don't know, that's where we are uh, as believers. We're part of God's kingdom. We're part of his rule. And uh, it ex- it's been going on forever. And Jesus didn't come to create the kingdom of God. He came to announce the immediate availability of the kingdom of God to us, to people who had been excluded from the religious system and uh, been uh, pushed down and told they weren't good enough. Uh, a lot of people in his society were thought not to be blessable. But in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus kind of turns that around and says, oh, no, there's all these blessable people now that the kingdom is available. And so if you're thinking that uh, you're not blessable, you are. All right, this is point one. Disciples are students or apprentices of Jesus. Now, um, one of the most common ways that Jesus was referred to uh, in the New Testament was teacher. And uh, we've kind of lost that a little bit, and there's some historical reasons for that. I can't go into all those this morning, but, but at one time there was a, a split in conservative and liberal theology where the liberals were starting to say well yeah maybe he wasn't divine maybe he was just a good teacher and uh so we'll just go with that and the conservatives go no 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 he's divine and so what they came to experience and probably the strain of uh christianity or the tradition you come from is conservative we started going teacher is code word for not divine and so we're going to kind of push back on that a little bit and 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 keep jesus uh divinity intact and so the idea of having jesus as teacher doesn't seem as spiritual as, as some of the other ways we refer to him, but that's the way he referred to himself over and over again. And so he taught them, and they worked with, uh, they worked with knowledge. He brought knowledge to them about the spiritual life. And if you don't know, the spiritual life is a field of knowledge. And, and when I say knowledge, in the New Testament, knowledge is not head knowledge, what we call head knowledge. Knowledge in the New Testament is, is interactive relationship with either a person or a subject matter. And so when, uh, when God said to the prophet of all the nations of the uh, earth, only you I've known, he didn't mean I didn't know about the other nations. He meant I'm the, you're the only nation that I've had this interactive covenantal relationship with. And when Jesus talks to, uh, he, when he's talking to his disciples and says, on the last day I will say to these, the ones that didn't obey him, depart from me for I never knew you. Well, isn't he omniscient? Doesn't he know everything? What he means is, I have not had interactive relationship with you. We have not entered into an interactive relationship. See, that's what no is in the New Testament. When Mary said, uh, when the angel told Mary that she was going to have a baby, she says, how can this be when I know not a man? Well, she was not saying she didn't know about men. She was saying, I have not been in the correct relationship 
interactive relationship with a man for, to have a baby. And so in the New Testament, and really in life, knowledge is about interactive relationship with a subject matter. You want to know what you're talking about, and you know what you're talking about when you can discuss it, you can share it with other people, when you can explain it. You know, if, if our spiritual life is not something that we have knowledge of, um, how are we going to share it with people? How, knowledge is how you share things with people. And, and how they come to know is by you telling them, demonstrating uh, to them, uh, letting them experimentally find out about the, the, the Christian life. And so we work with knowledge. And as a matter of fact, we're going to get to a little bit more of that in just a few minutes. But uh, disciples are arranging and rearranging their life around being with Jesus and learning how to do the things he said. So this is a... This is a, this is a, a a commitment. If you'll remember when Jesus called his disciples, he asked them to leave what they were doing and come follow him. Well, we know that uh, discipleship to Jesus is in a different mode these days because he's not physically here on earth. And uh, even when he was physically here on earth, uh, he took 11 guys and poured his life into them for, and, and, and ladies too, but mostly these 11 guys, poured his life into them for three years. And when he started to ascend, they were still asking him the same questions he'd been trying to answer for three years. Will you not now at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They were still thinking he was going to be a, a, a political uh, king and restore Israel to its previous glory. And, uh, you know, he just, he said, I'm just going to leave you guys with the Spirit. <laughs> he'll, he'll take care of you. And really, that's the truth. That's the truth. It, he said, it's better if I go away because I'm going to send the Spirit. And so God is with us now in a way that's more beneficial than even if we were walking with him back then. I know that's hard to believe, you know, because you might think sometimes, man, if I could have walked with Jesus, and man, if I could have seen everything, man, I'd be a disciple, and I'd never doubt again. Yeah, you probably would. You probably would. You know, because that, that's, that's these guys here. I think he chose, Jesus said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And boy, that describes this 11, this bunch he chose. Uh, poor in spirit just means I don't have any spiritual goods at all. And he chose 12 like that and lost one and didn't bring the others to completion while he was still here on the earth. They had to work with the spirit of God inside them uh, from then on out. And so that's the situation we find ourselves in. As disciples, we're working with the spirit of God and we're working with, uh, we're working with two uh, allies or methods of living. And uh, in... Second Peter 3.18, Peter uh, encourages us by saying, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And uh, Bart's been talking a lot about grace lately. And uh, grace is commonly thought of as what we get for our guilt and our sin. And it is. And, but let me expand your idea of grace just a little bit. Uh, grace is help. And, of course, we need help with our sin and our guilt, but we need help for a lot of things. We would need the grace of God if we had never sinned. That's how we're created. We're created insufficient for human life. And then God comes to us, and he becomes our life. And that's a complete human. When, when a human is joined in the Spirit back to God through the new birth, through what Jesus provided, that's a, that's a full and complete human life. And that's how life really starts. But that's not the end of it. And so sometimes I think the gospel that we've heard doesn't have a natural connection to this discipleship thing I'm talking about. Because you tell people, uh, Jesus, uh, uh, you're, you're a sinner, and uh, 
you have you have uh, you can't pay your debt, and so Jesus took the punishment that you should have taken. And if you believe that, when you die, there won't be any reason to keep you out of heaven. And of course, if you say a gospel like that, and you know there there is a lot of truth in that, and I don't want to belittle the the the. Uh, justification aspect of salvation it's just there's so much more of that and if that's all you tell people they're not going to see why they should be a disciple that you tell them that you you might want to read your bible or you might want to pray they say why aren't aren't i okay i'm going to heaven right and so the salvation that jesus brought is is all encompassing for your whole life Uh, i remember when i was going to church when I was in my 20s, and I went to a Baptist church. Maybe some of you people, who's a recovering Baptist? <laughs> I see that some of the, you, you can't ever tell who is a recovering Baptist because you ask them to raise their hand and they won't. <laughs> That's just, we don't do that. Um, but we would, you, and of course you can only get saved one time. Uh, so what people would do when they got hungry for God again or felt a tug from God, they would do a thing called rededication. Y'all remember rededication? Where about every, if you couldn't come more than about every three or four months, somebody think you know something was really wrong with you. But about every six months, you could come up and give your life back to God and rededicate. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Of course, we need to renew our relationship with the Lord. But what they were hungry for was to be with God again and get a touch from God again and experience God again. And the life of the disciple is exactly about that. It's walking with God, walking with Jesus interactively with him and you can't always have a felt sense of his presence uh life probably couldn't proceed if that was if you had a continual strong open heaven where you were just really i mean you couldn't work you couldn't drive you know you know how it is when god's heavy in the room and but but god pulls back but he's with you and you know he's with you in discipleship and so the with god life uh, of a disciple is something where you can experience on an ongoing way the presence of god presence of God see that constant renewal and you'll be working with him um, there's going to be a lot of opportunities and sometimes when you th- we think about discipleship we think about well prayer and fasting and and scripture memorization those are all great things but most of your opportunities to learn from Jesus are not going to come during these special times most of, most of them are going to come while you're working, while you're interacting with your spouse or your children, uh, while you're doing things around the house, uh, that's where the life, your, your, your main teaching from Jesus as a disciple, as a student of his, that's where that's going to come. And uh, uh, I, I have, since I've been paying attention to this uh, stuff for the last few years, I've watched the Lord work with me. And I know this is silly. Tom and I eat lunch together all the time. But have you ever been to one of those places where you buy a drink, a soft drink, and they give you a cup, and the, the fountain is right there by the thing, and you fill your own cup up, and you can you know, come back and put some more in there. And I was filling my cup up, and uh, you know how it goes, especially if you're getting Diet Coke. You put the ice in there, and then you put it under there and fill it up, and all the foam comes to the top, so you stop. You bump it, stop. Bump it, stop, bump, bump, stop, stop. Then you get just the right amount where the top will just barely fit without it squirting out through the straw hole. And you put, y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> don't, don't look at me like that. I know you do. And, and I'm doing this, and I hear this voice inside me say, what are you doing? And I, I'm thinking, well, I'm, I'm filling up my drink. 
And, uh, and then it started dawning on me, you know, this is an all-you-can-drink fountain. I've got no place to go the rest of the day. I could come back here as many times as I want to. And I started, I started thinking, why was I doing that? Well, I was, I, was, I was hedging my bet in case I couldn't get back, in case the, the rapture happened, or in case the building blew up, in case, in case they decided to kick us all out, I would have a really full glass. And you know what that is? That's, that's that fear inside me that I'm not secure, that I'm not okay, that I'm not being provided for. And it was just a silly little thing. So now one of my spiritual disciplines is when I put the, when I put the cup under there, when the foam hits the top, I just put the lid on it and go right back to my seat. <laughs> that does not sound spiritual, but for me it is because it reminds me that my God is sufficient for me. And that's one of the big lessons of discipleship is that your back is covered by God. See, that's, that's, why we, that's why we do things we do. Sin is always an opportunity to not trust God. That's what sin is. It's an opportunity not to trust God, and we take it. But if most people I know don't want to sin. They don't want to lie. They don't want to cheat. They don't want uh, to cultivate lust in their life. But they find it, unfortunately, necessary to get by because they're having to take care of themselves in their own mind. Jesus came and explained a gospel that says you're taken care of he said consider the lilies consider the sparrows look at them look at these look at these creatures that are so small and so common and yet God takes care of them what should we take from that Jesus said well God's going to take care of you see now if God's taking care of you you don't need a lie right lies are are what we, we use to negotiate our way among other human beings when we, don't, when we want to control the outcome, right? Because we're, we're, we're afraid how the outcome's going to come out unless we adjust reality for them with a lie. And so God says, you don't need, you don't need that. <laughs> Jesus says, you don't need that. You're cared for. You are free to do the good that you want to do. Now, some of us don't want to do good, or some of us don't know what the good is. And so the Holy Spirit comes and works with us. So we don't just work with knowledge of God's love and care for us. We work with his grace. And that's commonly uh, the Holy Spirit's work with us to help teach us and empower us to do Jesus' words. And, and the, the success of your efforts is not the important thing. That will come. Don't worry about that. The success what you don't want to do is aim at a behavior you want to aim at a life see that's what Jesus did he came and said to the uh, he, he said to the crowd uh, during the Sermon on the Mount he said unless your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees you can't see you can't enter the kingdom of heaven and he wasn't talking about entering heaven when you die he was talking about the present rule and reign of God right there he said if you're right and they were thinking gosh the these Pharisees, they're the righteousest, most righteous people I've ever seen. But what Jesus was saying was, it's not that you know, their righteousness is a seven and you've got to be at least an eight. What's beyond the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees is not more righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. It's, it's another kind of righteousness. And all Jesus' teaching pointed to this because if you look, he didn't focus at action. Matter of fact, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, he doesn't tell you to do anything. Nothing. There's no instructions in there about what you should do. He's, he's showing you snapshots of a life, a life in the kingdom of heaven. Go back and read it with those, 
glasses on and see what, what the possibilities are for someone who is working with God as a disciple. The, the life changes that are possible, the freedom that's possible. And so I want to encourage you in that this morning. Uh, so we're working with two things. We're working with grace and we're working with knowledge. Jesus brings both. Um, like I was saying, most of the, the opportunities that you're going to have for learning with him and to be taught by him are going to be not in the special times. But I want to divide them into two categories for you so you can think about the opportunities for teaching. One is the, the, the uh, voluntary or the, uh, I might call it, uh, uh, the, we'll just call it voluntary, where you do things in order to access the grace of God, like prayer, uh, fasting, uh, worship. And, and, and some of these, you know, the, for, for some of us, those things are uncomfortably Catholic-sounding. And uh, don't worry about that. Uh, the, the reformers, if, if, if that bothers you, the reformers were all big on spiritual formation and the things that you do to change on the inside, the practices that you enter into. Solitude, Jesus got off by himself a lot. Uh, you should try that sometime. It'll do a lot for you. Uh, there's a couple of people that right now that I'm memorizing scripture with and we're holding each other accountable. And uh, it's, it's amazing what that will do for you. Uh, waking up in the morning with, with that flowing through your mind. Uh, instead, of, you know, you ever come back from Disney World and wake up and it's a small world after all. And you can hear it. You know, it's playing in there and you're trying to get it out. And, but what if you put words in there that when you woke up, you were thinking, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It makes me lie down. And just have that playing in your mind all the time. Like, like when you're in the grocery store, in the, in the, the, fast, the, the uh, express aisle, and the guy in front of you has 15 items instead of the 12 he's supposed to have. You can just play those verses over and over in your mind. And uh, you can. You can. And, and I don't get upset by that anymore. I do count his items, but I don't get upset. Um, that it's, hey, you, before you can love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you have to love him with some of it. And then you come to love him with all of it. See, that's how it works. It's a process. This disciple, don't worry about perfection. It's not going to bother anybody in here for at least a month or two. Just don't get that out of your mind. We're not aiming at perfection. We, we're aiming at following Jesus. We're aiming at becoming the kind of people who naturally and easily do the things he said. When I was a kid, I enjoyed, after the sun went down, going up onto my neighbor's porch and knocking on the door and running. I thought that was great fun. And uh, they didn't seem to enjoy it all that much, but now they had no sense of humor, I guess. But, but I, did, I did that all over the neighborhood. Let me tell you, I don't have any trouble with that now. I haven't done that in probably a while. Yeah. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Why? Because my willpower has become so amazing that I no longer do that after dark. No, that's not it. It's because that's not me. It's not interesting to me. Let me ask you a question. What if sin was uninteresting? What if your insides were changed to the point to where it wasn't a big heroic thing not to do something wrong? It just wasn't interesting. I want you to think about that some, some this week. Lord, could you actually turn me into the kind of person that when temptation came, I would look at that and go, why would anybody want to do that? 
That doesn't make any sense at all. That's just self-destructive and crazy. Now, I'm not saying we're going to get there completely before heaven, but the idea that we're just miserable sinners and we can't do anything about it and that we just have to wait on the side of the road until heaven with our hood up, you know, just not being able to do anything. That Jesus came for two reasons. One is to justify people, and the other is to make justified people into good people. He can do that. He knows how. He left people that knows, know how to do that. He's working with people who want to do that now. Like I said, don't worry about perfection. It's not, that's, not the, that's not the point. The point is, is that he can create on the inside of us character traits that are like his own. He can bring us into that by the Holy Spirit. Of course, you're not going to do it with your own spiritual muscles, but like Bart's been talking about, it's not, it's not you have to do something. It's like a crude illustration would be power steering. You know, in your power steering, it's real easy to turn the wheel, but this mechanism actually moves the car around, right? But you, but if you have to, but you have to do something before anything happens. And I know that's probably not a great metaphor, but the point is, um, Moses. It said the it said in the uh, the the account of one of his uh, uh, times there in the Bible. It said the uh, the mighty arm of God moved at the right hand of Moses. And so what it's saying is when Moses made decisions or, or did things, God's arm moved with him. See? So it's not, it's, not, it's not just God, and it's certainly not just us. It's the with God life. See? That's what you want. God wants to work with us. You know, when Moses was at the burning bush, and he said, how, how, will I, how am I going to go down there and do this? How will they know? So I'll go with you. And that, that's the, that is the blessing of what we have in discipleship is, is God with us. I know I'm beating that, but I really want you all to know that. Um, let's see. There's a really uh, sad but uh, informative story uh, that possibly most of you uh, are familiar with, and it's the story of Peter's denial of Jesus. And uh, you can find a version of it in Luke 22, uh, 31 and 32. And Jesus is talking to Peter, and he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith not fail, and you, when you turned again, will strengthen your brothers. Okay, and so Jesus is telling them, you're all going to desert me. You're all going to deny me. And Peter says, oh, no, I will never, ever, ever do that. I will die first. And so uh, Jesus says, no, no, you're going to do it three times. Well, why three times? Well, if it just happened once, Peter could say, well, you know, I slipped. He could just say that. But three times, you've got to deal with that. I mean, you've got to deal with that. And so Jesus told him that. He said, don't, but don't worry about it. I prayed for you that your faith fell not. I bet Peter was thinking, why didn't you pray that I fell not? That would have been even better. But Jesus was not interested in Peter's success at this point. He was interested in Peter's faith. And he prayed that Peter's faith wouldn't fail. And so that takes us in, out of a, a mindset of performance and, and puts us on the mindset of what Jesus' discipleship of Peter. And, of course, Peter was on the fast track. He was going to have to lead these guys. And so God was getting him ready. And so he said, no, no, you're going to deny me, but don't worry about it. When it's all over with, help your brothers. And so you know what happened next. They went to the garden, and uh, they came to get him and, 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 and take him away. And Peter said, oh, no, you don't, and grabbed a sword and took a swipe at Malchus, the the servant it wasn't a great technical exercise he only got the ear but but 
uh, he was ready. And bet he was thinking, yeah, Jesus, you see, what I'm, you see me now? I'm with you. I'm with you to the end. I got a sword here. And so Jesus said, no, no, that's not how we're going to do it. Put the ear back on. And so they, they, go, they, they go on, right, and, they, and, they take, and, they're, and Peter's around the campfire. And a little girl says, weren't you one of them? And he said, no. Denied him three times. Denied Jesus three times. Just got through with a sword and a Roman soldier and a little girl took him down. Now, how, why is that? Let me tell you what that is. Jesus knew something about Peter that Peter didn't know about Peter. He knew what was in Peter that had to be dealt with. And, you know, we have things on our insides that we don't know. We can't see them. We, we have great intentions. Peter had good intentions. His intentions were not to deny the Lord. His intentions were, were to be there and to even die if necessary. But there was something in Peter that Peter didn't understand. And who knows what that little girl represented in his life, why that really pulled him, uh, yanked his chain like it did. But he failed, and, and he, heard, he heard the rooster crow like Jesus predicted would, and he said he went out uh, with uh, weeping bitterly, weeping bitterly, because he came face to face with this part of himself that he didn't even know was there. But it was good for him to come face to face with that. Um, I got some criticism at work this week, and uh, it was done in probably the wrong way, but you know, I deserved it. And, uh, but it brought back old feelings of inadequacy and insecurity. And I was just ready to quit. And I, was, I, I knew I couldn't do this thing anyway. And it just, uh, just took me down. And, uh, and God just started reminding me that who my source was and how did, I get this, you know, how did I get this far anyway. Well, it was by him and his provision. And so God dealt with things inside me that I didn't know how to get to. That was one of those imposed learning situations most of them will be in your life you'll find things happening to you other people do things choose things that you have no control over and it'll bring up things in you that 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 you have to deal with and at those moments that's when you say Jesus teacher what do I do here show me what to do empower me to do these things teach me what to do how would you handle this situation Jesus how would you do it because I want to come to do everything I do in the manner that he did what he did. Now, I don't have to do everything he did. But I, I, I would like to come to uh, do things in the manner he did the things he did. That makes sense? Like everything I do, I want to do in the name of Jesus. And what that means is by his resources and with his authority. Okay? That's what the, uh, working from the name means. So uh, that's, that was the second point. Basically, opportunities to learn from Jesus can be divided into the voluntary Choosing practices like solitude, science, uh, silence, scripture, uh, memorization, and the imposed. Just the things that happen to you in life. The opportunities that you have to engage with Jesus and learn from him. And then finally, three, the outcome of discipleship is that we become like Jesus in his character and practices. See, that's the outcome. Uh, Mark, I'm sorry, Matthew 10.25, the first part of the verse says, Matthew 10.25, it is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and slave like his master. See, that's what's, that's what's going on in, in discipleship. We're becoming on the inside and in our practices like Jesus. Is that possible? Yeah, it is to some degree. Um, it, it's, it's not limited. It's, it's all negotiable. Ever how much you want to grow with the Lord, he'll let you. He won't stop you. Now, I don't know, you know, perhaps... Um, 
you know, dying and waking up into heaven fixes the rest of my character? I don't know. I do know I want to get a pretty good start on it now. Um, if you think about the people that we're sharing the gospel with, they have an impossible future as far as their happiness goes. There are only two possibilities, eternity with God and eternity without God. And they wouldn't like either one of them in the condition they're in right now. They wouldn't be able to stand heaven, and they certainly wouldn't want the other place. And so they need a change on the inside to fit them for an eternity with God. And uh, I'm, I'm putting a lot of hope in that, uh, that, that my growth will continue in heaven in terms of my character becoming more and more like his. Uh, I can't imagine that he would ever limit or stop me from that. Also, uh, Mark 12, 30 through 31. Now, this is, this is what Jesus is aiming at. When he was asked by the, the lawyer, what is the greatest commandment? You remember he said, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And the second's like this, your neighbor is yourself. And so this is the condition that Jesus is aiming at in our lives, where we come to be permeated and motivated by love. And, the, and, and he lists all these dimensions of the human life, heart, soul, mind, and strength, because those are the things that we can get a hold of. Those are the parts of us that we can do something about. Those are the parts that discipleship actually works on. All these inner dimensions, and then your neighbor is yourself, the social aspect of your life, the way you interact with other people can be healed too. Um, but if you'll notice this, in all Jesus' miracles, he never healed anybody of uh, anger. Never healed anybody of lying. He healed people of diseases and things like that. He, had a different, he has a different treatment for the things in our character that are not like him yet, and it's called discipleship. And what I want to ask you this morning, and it's probably obvious by now, is are you a disciple? Um, we have uh, a lot of people who have received the forgiveness of Jesus and have never really made a, a conscious decision. You know what? I'm going to become his student. Because I'm telling you, he is giving master classes in life right now. It's probably the greatest opportunity you'll ever have, and I'll ever have. And like I said, I don't stand in front of you as, one, one, as a person who has made it in this area. I just see the path, and I want to be on it so bad. Um, once, I believe if you'll read Jesus' words about what the goodness is of how God's going to take care of you, you'll be able to abandon outcomes and security and all those kind of things that, that we work on so hard over to Jesus and start living the life that he's provided for, a life of love, of returning good for evil, turning the other cheek, of not cultivating lust, not being controlled by anger, uh, not manipulating people with a song and dance, letting your yes be yes and your no be no. All those things that are, that are so non-intuitive for us now can become second nature. So... Um, I ask you, I, I want to do an invitation, and I'm not going to ask anybody to come up. I, I, I'm going to pray for you. But if you want the kind of life that I'm describing here, it's available in Jesus. And um, if you close your eyes for just a minute, I want you to think about Jesus' words. Come follow me. Come follow me. And I believe the Spirit of God right now is working with us to, to, to enable us to say yes to that.
to form an intention to do that. And Lord, I trust that that's what you're doing because I know that you want us to follow you. So I ask right now that you do business with, with the Lord right now about, about your status as disciple because it is a status. Disciples are often very green and it's not a spiritual, it's not a, being a disciple is not a, 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 a great attainment spiritually. It's just you're in the school, you're on the path. And so I ask uh, the Lord right now that you convict us and bring knowledge about your desire to have us as your disciple. Lord, I ask you to do that. So, uh, in Jesus' name, amen. When you go today, ask that you think about this. It's a serious thing. Jesus talked about counting the cost before you became a disciple. Um, but what he's asking uh, you to put down is your, your need to take care of yourself, ultimately, and your need to make things turn out like you need them to. And your need to get your own way. You know, that's, that's, uh, that's what fasting does for you. I'm no great expert in fasting, but fasting helps you learn how to be strong and sweet when you're not getting what you want. And so uh, uh, I thank you for uh, letting me speak to you this morning, and I'll turn it back over to Bart.